0: Alright, Psalm 119 this evening, we finally get to this very unique psalm, and if you have looked ahead or read ahead, you may take notice, if you're not familiar with Psalm 119, we now come to the longest of all of the 150 psalms, Psalm 119 is the longest, 176 verses in this psalm, it is also the longest chapter in the entire Bible And very interestingly enough, uh, the longest psalm that the Holy Spirit gives to us and the longest chapter in the Word of God is all about the thing that God chooses to speak about most extensively, and that is the value and the benefit and the glory and all the great and wonderful things of the Word of God. And I find that very interesting, that of all the things the Holy Spirit chose to be very exhaustive about— In speaking about Psalm 119, the entirety of it is all about the word of God, all about the benefits, the the value, the wonderful things that come to us from the scriptures is given to us in this psalm now uh, i'm going to caution you in advance you, i'm not going to tell you to fasten your seatbelts and that we're going to try and blaze through 176 uh, verses i believe in miracles but not when i'm teaching so uh, I, I don't think that's going to be a reality but we'll we'll take a run at it and see where we get this evening but we'll probably cover it in a in a few teachings here but psalm 119 we're going to notice and you may have a little indication in some of your translations where you see before verse 1 uh, the word there uh, aleph and then if you look down in verse 9 you may have uh, bet or beth and then again if you look down in verse uh, at the end of verse 16 between 16 and 7 uh, you have gimel. and what these are is is hebrew alphabet uh, alphabets that are given to us and psalm 119 is what's called an acrostic psalm and what's meant by that is we'll see that It's basically, of the 176 verses that are there, it's broken into 22 sections, each eight verses apiece, each one of those 22 sections. Uh, And it's an acrostic psalm in the same way that anything else can be an acrostic poem or whatever, whereby each section begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then in that section, so verses 1 through 8, not only is that section uh, began with the Hebrew uh, letter uh, Aleph, but each one of those verses begins. We don't see, it, of course, in the English, but each one of those eight verses begins with that Hebrew letter there from the alphabet, and then the same successive thing happens in verse 9 down through verse 16. Uh, that next Hebrew letter is used, and it's how each verse is began in the Hebrew And of course, part of the reason why this is done was mainly just for memorization purposes, uh, that the Hebrews, as well as many of the Hebrew children, because they put a great emphasis upon memorization with raising their children in the word of God, it was much easier to some degree to recall if you had kind of that acrostic rhythm where you could remember, okay, it it, it starts, with, starts with an A, starts with an A, starts with a B. And so uh, that's kind of the reason that it was uh, put together in this sense as the Holy Spirit gave it to us through whoever the human author is. And uh, very interestingly enough, it's kind of another one of those orphan psalms in the sense that we're not told who the human writer is. You know, different commentators speculate who it is, but At times the Holy Spirit did not choose to record that for us. We know ultimately the Holy Spirit is the divine author behind every psalm and every portion of the word of God. And perhaps because this one has such a great emphasis on just the greatness and the glory of God's word that the Holy Spirit wanted all the credit Because all scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God anyway, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. So uh, let's begin to look at it together. The psalmist just begins to speak about some of the wonderful, valuable things that come to us from the word of God. Let me read verses 1 through 8 and go back and just make a a couple initial comments and then we'll kind of go back through it. But he says here, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I praise you with uprightness of heart when i learn of your righteous judgments and i will keep your statutes and do not forsake me utterly now i want to just draw your attention here in these first eight verses because it then just becomes a pattern that goes uh, throughout the rest of the 176 verses The entire psalm is all about the word of God or God's word or the scripture as we may reference it. But you notice that the Holy Spirit uses different terms, all of which are a reference to the word of God. Uh, But yet he uses variable terms. For example, even in these first few verses here in in the opening section of the psalm, in verse 2 he refers to the word of God as his testimonies. Those things that testify about God, about God's will, they testify to his ways. Uh, He mentions as well in our verses here, verse four, he calls the scripture, the Lord's precepts. Uh, He mentions then going on in verse five, he says, my ways are directed to keep your statutes. He then mentions as we go on in verse six, referring to the scripture as God's Commandments, verse 7, as your righteous judgments. So, again, we're going to see these terms repeatedly. All of them are references to the Word of God, just kind of like a kaleidoscope, you know, being able to just kind of see things from different angles through a different lens. Well, find these terms used interchangeably of course they're all just references to the scripture whether it's referring to the scripture as god's testimonies or his precepts or his statutes or his judgments or his testimonies at times it'll just be referred to as his word Uh, this is the idea and we'll see this pattern going through notice in our, our first section here though he begins this psalm by saying blessed and that's that term there where the idea is oh how happy Or, how blessed is the life? Uh, And again, uh, he uses this, I think it's a beautiful way to start out and to initiate a psalm that speaks about living according to the Word of God and the valuable benefits of the Word of God. It's almost as if right away, the psalmist, as the Spirit is guiding him, wants to say, This is the way to experience a blessed life. Do you want to have a life that feels cursed? Do you want to have a life that's miserable? Or do you want to have a life that's blessed? I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'll take blessed. A blessed life sounds much more appealing to me than any other type of life. And, you know, as I read Psalm 119, verse 1, it kind of makes me harken back memory wise all the way back to what we looked at in our very first Psalm together. If I can just call to your memory, there, Psalm 1 began by saying this Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, whose delight? The man who's blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. So right away, the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our attention, this is the way to have a blessed life. By being someone who's a Bible person, who loves the word of God, who reads the word of God, who knows the word of God, who lives by and walks in the ways of the word of God rather than the ungodly world or in our own human ideas or our own precepts or statutes or judgment about what is right and what is wrong. Instead, we want God's judgments, God's statutes. We want God to be the one to guide our steps. So he says, blessed or how happy and blessed in the life are the undefiled in the way. That is those who live in a way whereby they're not defiling their own lives. They're not bringing, you know, stains upon their conscience by moral wrongdoing They're not defiling their life by engaging in sinful practices and just bringing dirt and filth into their life. And he says, if you want to have a blessed life, live an undefiled life. And how do you live an undefiled life? Well, he tells us right away, verse one, who walk in the law of the Lord. The way to keep our lives from becoming undefiled in our ways is to live within the boundaries of, of the governing laws, we might say, the governing laws spiritually of the word of God, not just to study the Bible, not just to read the Bible. Because look, folks, I'll tell you, I've met many people over the years. I've sat with people in counseling situations where they can quote Bible verses better than I can. And they can tell me things about the Bible and they love to study the Bible and they love to read the Bible. But yet they're sitting with me in a counseling session or with me together with their spouse in a counseling session because they're not living the Bible. They love learning the Bible, but they don't live the Bible and they may understand what the Bible says and they have a head knowledge, but it's not something that's governing their heart. And we don't want to just learn the Bible for the sake of learning the Bible. This isn't academia. And this is what the psalmist is is heavily gonna emphasize. It's not just an academic exercise. This is the law of the Lord. These are spiritual principles and precepts and judgments and, and like laws govern a society, not so that a society can be domineered. Why? There's laws in a society, so there's not what? chaos right and unrestrained i mean even uh, traffic laws we may not like them and many of us at times violate them but those traffic laws exist why for the safety and welfare of all of us the person behind the wheel other people around us and so again th- this is the idea the spiritual laws of god's word There's not something to keep us in this confined, miserable life. Oh, all these rules and regulations. We have a wrong idea when we reduce God's word to just religious rules and regulations. We're missing the whole point of why God's given to us his word. He's given his word to us because we as human beings tend to deviate towards what's wrong. We're inclined to do what's evil, and we have a propensity to do as he says here, To defile our way. And God doesn't want us to defile our way. He wants to keep us undefiled in our way. And the way that we can do that is by just walking in the law of the Lord, reading the word of God and saying, Lord, I want to live that way. Lord, I want to stay within those boundaries. I want your word to govern my ideas about this and morality and everything else. and, And I want that to be the governing law of my life. And if we walk within those boundaries, honoring the spiritual laws of the word of God, uh, that walk will keep us undefiled in our way. He says, verse two, and blessed are those, again, notice who keep, same concept, who keep his testimonies. The idea is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. He said in John's gospel. And so again, this is one of the ways we even demonstrate our love towards the Lord is by obeying the things that his word tells us to do. It's one of the ways we can demonstrate where we're at in our love for the Lord, a way that we can show our love to him, that we do those things that please him. In the same way in human relationships, if you love someone, right? If you love someone, you don't do things that hurt the person. If you're doing something that hurts the person that you say you love, then there's a contradiction in your reasoning. And in the same way with the Lord, if we love him, we live according to his laws. We honor his testimonies of what the Bible says to us as how he wants us to live, what pleases him, what honors him. So blessed, he says, are those who keep his testimonies. Lord, if your testimony about this subject is that, then then I love you, Lord. And so I want to keep what you're asking there. I want to live it out in obedience, practically putting that into practice by obedient living by faith and not what others do, but faith in that this is what you want us to do to keep your testimonies. He says, and blessed also are those, verse two, who seek him with a whole heart. And we've seen that many a times, again, not half-heartedness, but seeking God with all of our heart. And particularly that's valuable when we're seeking the Lord in his word. And this is certainly one of the greatest ways that we can seek the Lord. I mean, there are other ways, certainly through prayer and through Singing and expression and worship, and, and there are other avenues to seek the Lord, but one of the most valuable and safest ways to seek the Lord is to seek him through his word. This is the way God speaks to us. It's his written revelation, and it is one of the primary and authoritative ways that God will speak to us so that we seek him. In his word, we want to begin with a whole heart, not coming to the Bible as just a a little quick religious exercise, but truly seeking the Lord by getting into his word. Lord, I'm seeking you. Guide my steps. Speak to me, God. Talk to me. I want to hear your voice, Lord. I need your comfort or your help or an answer to something in my life or a truth or a promise to help me. So we seek him. And he says, as we do that, the benefit, notice verse 3, is they also do no iniquity, for they walk in his ways so again we see this continual pattern of uh, as we you know honor the word of god we don't just take it in mentally but we actually walk it out we put it into practice we walk in his ways as the scripture reveals his ways to us verse 4 he says and you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently so again the, the diligence that we take serious and we we put in effort to be obedient to the word of God, that we're in the same way we might be diligent to follow the, you know, maybe the, the, the rules or the protocols of our job or diligent to follow some other ways maybe that are, you know, given to us that we're diligent about obeying the precepts of scripture, that we take it serious. He says, verse five, oh, that my ways, he expresses this longing now, oh, that my ways were directed, he says, to keep, your statutes. So isn't that very interesting? He says, Lord, you've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. This is your expectation. This is your ideal. He says, the problem, Lord, is with me. (laughs) The problem is I'm weak. I'm weak in my sinfulness. I'm weak in my humanity. So the, the prayer now, you can hear the longing, Lord, your ideal, your command is that we would keep your precepts. And he says, Lord, oh, that my ways would be directed he says by your statutes i don't know if you find that struggle as the psalmist describes i know i do where i know the lord wants me to diligently keep his precepts but the problem is with the weakness of my flesh oh oh, lord i wish help me lord i want to live more aligned with your word lord help me direct my ways according to your statutes why verse six then i would not be ashamed when I look into your commandments, right? Because one of the things that happens is as we live out of alignment with the word of God, then as we come to the commandments and the truths of scripture, we feel a degree of conviction, which is the Holy Spirit making us feel guilty or ashamed for doing things that we know are outside of God's will. And he says, oh Lord, if you would help me, to, to be directed to keep your statutes then i wouldn't experience that unpleasant time of when i look into your word and i feel ashamed because i read the word of god as you read the word of god and i go man lord i'm blowing it in this area lord i am still so selfish i'm still so impatient lord i, I I'm, I'm i'm disregarding what man what your word says there lord i'm My heart attitude, I am failing in that. Lord, I'm complaining or grumbling. And and again, we we feel ashamed because we feel conviction because we realize our life doesn't line up with what the scripture is putting light on as God's ways. Verse seven, he says, and I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments and I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly as he comes to verse 9, this verse may be a little bit more uh, familiar. Many of us have heard this as a verse out of Psalm 119. It's one of the more, I would say, prominent or popular ones and a great statement from the Holy Spirit. As we begin the next section, he says, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? So here he speaks, of the valuable benefit of the word of God to have a preserving power within our life to keep us from sin. One of the very helpful things when we are struggling with any area of sin in our life is to utilize the supernatural power of God's word as a way to clean up our lives to purify our hearts, to, to keep us pure and to rid us from impurities, the word of God serves a great power to do that. You know, it is very interesting if you think about as the Holy Spirit is giving verse nine to us about taking heed to the word of God and, and taking it seriously, taking it, uh, heed to it in the sense of living it out obediently, that of all the you know, different analogies he uses, he says, how can a young man cleanse his way notice that he didn't say how can an old man cleanse his way he didn't say how can a old lady cleanse her way not to say that when we're an old man or an old lady or uh, when we're a four-year-old that we don't struggle with sin or, or we don't struggle with impurity in our lives that we don't need still maybe even at you know 70 to clean up areas of our life or to clean up our act you know but when you think about those who probably would be most in a sense desirous of needing to kind of clean up their act that the Holy Spirit says, how can a young man, how can a young man, he says, cleanse his way? Because why? what, what marks the life of a, of a young man, incredible, many a times in, incredible strong desires right there. That's the peak of passion of hormonal drive a lot of times a young man is characterized by arrogance and maybe lack of teachability and kind of a little bit of cockiness and, and, and a little bit of pride. And, and so there's something about the struggles of being a young man that, that you know, is, is kind of something where the word of God is almost saying to us, look, if, if the scripture is able to help a young man cleanse his way, if it can help a young man to clean up his act, And to get his act according to an alignment with what God wants for his life. If the word of God has the power to help a young man who we may think, man, it would be the hardest for a young man to purify his life or to clean up his act. If it can help a young man to clean his way, how much more can it help anybody to clean up their life, to keep their life pure? And so he says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word that is as we go to the word of god it has this powerful purifying effect god's word like like a like a wonderful washing of the water of the word it can cleanse our lives And, and i tell you i have seen in my own life so many times where the powerful cleansing ability of the word of god is what has cleaned things out of my life that i did not want to be there whether it was attitudes or sins or propensities towards, you know, wrong ideas, or it was the word of God in such a powerful way from the moment that I got saved and through my whole life that has had this powerful cleansing effect that has cleaned my life in an incredible way internally, unlike anything I could have ever done through self-resolve or, or anything else, just the, the supernatural power of God's word, the washing of the water of his word and when we take heed to it you know jesus said in matthew or john 17 when he was praying as he was talking to his father he said father sanctify them by the truth and then he said your word is truth and that word sanctify literally means the idea is to set apart or to cleanse some say it's even a term that could implicate the idea of to catharize and when you catheterize a person, typically that unpleasant process is to, to remove something from the body that that person is unable to remove themselves. Right? So when you catheterize a person, that's what you're doing. You're doing a process to help them get something, toxins out of their body that they are unable to cleanse or rid their body from by themselves. And one interesting thing, Jesus says, Father, catheterize them, help get out of them what they can't get out of themselves, help cleanse and rid and remove from their life immoral things and sinful things and unhealthy things, get those things out of their life. And he says, Father, do it by your truth. And then he says, it's your word. It's the word of God that is that catharizing truth. And boy, God's word serves in a powerful way to help clean up our lives if we're willing to take heed to it and let it have its impact and effect to cleanse and rid things from our lives. What a wonderful, wonderful truth to help us. Verse 10, he says, And with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. You notice the constant kind of honesty and humility of the psalmist. He knows God's ideal. He knows the power of the word of God. But then he says, The problem, Lord, he says, I I want to seek you with a whole heart, but... Don't let me wander. Lord, I know that I'm prone to wander, right? Like that psalm, uh, not that psalm, the hymn that we sing, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, and we know that, that we just do have this tendency to gradually wander, right? And, and so, for that very reason, if I'm not constantly in the Word of God, if I'm not constantly keeping my life anchored, to God spiritually and morally by being in the word of God and taking it seriously with diligence, knowing that I need the truth of God's word to keep my heart clean. I'm going to tend to wander. I'm going to begin to deviate and I'm going to wander off path and be living in other ways rather than living according to God's commandments, governing over my life. So he says, Lord, please Here's prayer in this Lord. Let me not wander, please, Lord, you know, I, I, I we, we've seen too many times what happens to lives, right? When they wander from God's commandments. When, when those at one time were walking with the Lord and obeying the word of God, and then they just begin to wander from God's commandments. And they begin to live according to their flesh and, and ultimately just sad and unfortunate things happen. He says, verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, boy, there's another great verse. And since this verse is talking about, I believe, Bible memorization and the value of memorizing the word of God, uh, let me encourage you. You want a great verse to memorize? There's one right there. I've hidden your word in my heart. The idea of hidden, the idea is I've stored it. I've hidden it in a place where it's safe and it's protected. I've deposited it somewhere, stored it somewhere. I've hidden your word, and notice, in my heart, not in my head. Vastly different. There are many people, sadly, that in spiritual deception are still heading towards eternal fire and damnation and judgment because they're missing the kingdom of God itself by 18 inches. And that 18 inches is from their head to their heart. Because you know, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Bible says that, that, you know, that with the heart one believes unto salvation. The governing thing of our soul, it's not about the head. And I'm not saying that our minds are not a part. The Bible says, you know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And thank goodness for the minds God has given to us to think through things, to meditate, to, to logically process things, to understand things. That has its value and it's has contribution. But I tell you this, the heart will always make a convert of the mind. If my heart is not in the right place, I can convince myself to do really dumb stuff. And if your heart is in the right place, eventually you'll start thinking correctly because the heart is the governing part of of our lives. And so it's interesting to me that when the scripture is trying to emphasize the value of storing the word of God within us to where it has powerful, protective, preserving impact in our lives... Notice that I might not sin against you to keep us from sin. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, I remember when our girls were going to you know, Christian school when they were growing up. When we were back in uh, York, pastor in the church there in Pennsylvania. And they would send the kids home. You know, it was a Christian school. Part of what they do is they memorize Bible verses. But then sometimes they would give them like these monster long sections of bible verses in like second grade it'd be second grade honey what's your bible verse this week uh, It's psalm 119 it's only 176 verses daddy we have till friday i mean it's just like are you kidding me i mean and they would get these huge sections to memorize and i understand what the school was doing and it adds value and god's word you know it's like incorruptible seed it goes in it's powerful it's profitable it's, it's going to do its job but i found what would tend to happen is they would put it into their head to just by rote routine just you know spew it back out to the teacher on Friday and then if after Friday if they came home for you know family fun night on Friday night and while we were having snack can you what's that bible verse again oh i don't know it just and it was just it was just it was just a mental exercise and the thing that i you know at times would try and talk to the kids about and i would sometimes even when the teachers would ask my input on something that was used the only area where I would try and offer a little bit of suggestive advice to say, look, I would rather you teach my children maybe 10 verses over the whole year that they really know in their heart and they live them out. Then at the end of the school year, they have been able to quote to you 50 Bible verses, and, and, but they're having no impact on their life because the Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want the word of God to be in my heart where it governs the epicenter of my being, where it governs my being and it restricts me in my heart from, from being willing to sin against God or do what's disobedient and not just something that's a mental exercise that I can kind of just ignore what's in my head. But he says, no, I've hidden your word deep into my heart. Again, the, the implication here is indeed, I believe, you know, Bible memorization but we want it to go beyond our head. We want it to really become, uh, you know, just engrafted into our being. We want it to become a part of us, literally become a part of your life, a part of your heart's desire, because when it does that, he says, the value is I might not sin against you. It has a restrictive power. And I'll tell you, I have found in my life one of the most helpful things to overcome sin, whatever struggle of sin you may have at times, is you find a Bible verse specifically that address that sin. For example, Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, sin not. Don't let the sun set on your wrath. Do you know why I know that? Not because I'm a Bible teacher. I got anger issues. Maybe you don't. (laughs) But there are certain Bible verses that I find are very helpful because and I'm not saying we're not still prone to wander and enter into sin. But it is much harder to, to just ram forward into sin if the Holy Spirit flashes into your mind and brings across the radar of your heart the exact thing you're about to do wrong. And sometimes it just tends to have a little bit of restrictive. OK, okay I'm just slow down there because <laughs> so, and, and, then you have to push past it. And you have to really consciously sin. And there have been many times when just the truth of God's word being a part of my life on this subject or in that area of sin or, you know, whatever it may be. Pick your various poisons that if you've got a verse within your heart about that and the Holy Spirit flashes that to your attention, it really does help. And so, again, whenever I'm talking to people about overcoming struggles with sin I always encourage, let's, let's find a Bible verse, let's find some Bible verses, let's, let's tape them on your mirror, let's you know, carry them around, let's memorize those verses and let the power of God's word help you not to sin against them. Just a great, great asset, utilize it, it's what God's given it to us for. Verse 12, he says, and blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. So I I want to share your word, Lord, because I realize it has great value to even help the judgments of others in their lives. So I share, he says, with my lips and my mouth. I've rejoiced, he says, in the way of your testimonies, verse 14, as much as in all riches. So the idea there, celebrating, rejoicing. He says, Lord, I love your word as much as all riches. He's speaking about how God's word had great value to him. He says, even the same way people rejoice over greater riches, he says, Lord, I, I consider your word just as valuable as earthly riches, if not more valuable. He says, verse 15, I'll meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways and will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Again, notice verse 15 and 16, kind of driving home that idea of storing the word of God up within our lives. And here are actual words that speak to doing that. Meditate, contemplate, delighting upon the word of God and its statutes so that you don't forget his word and again to meditate is that hebrew term that just means it literally comes from the idea of with a cow when they say that the cow, the cow would chew the cud and the idea there is they they chew up what they eat and then they swallow it down and because cows have multiple chambers in their stomach so to get the maximum nutrition out of what they eat they chew it up they swallow it down and then they regurgitate it and they chew the cud what they bring and they chew it a little bit more to try and get any more nutrients and then they swallow it down and they bring it back up and by continuing to do that that's the idea is to get as much nutritional benefit out of it as possible and so this is the idea really of we might say biblical meditation is just chewing on something not just reading it and dismissing it but maybe you know reading it and maybe so maybe in the morning we read a section maybe it's 10 verses maybe it's a whole chapter whatever But maybe we take a portion, maybe it's one verse or sometimes I even like to just take a phrase. Maybe it's two, three words, maybe it's seven, and just take that and just really, you know, maybe read it a few and just let that be something you just chew on and just meditate on that. If nothing else, just kind of think that over, chew it over during the day and let it be something that you can, as he says, contemplate, to meditate, contemplate, just to think it through and see what insights and ways that God might help you apply that and how the Lord maybe might illuminate other things as you meditate or contemplate on God's word or God's ways. It, it just brings additional value to your soul, and it helps you not to forget the word of God. Those little then phrases maybe from the scripture stick with you, and the Holy Spirit can often bring them up to bring great help as you are trying to walk in God's ways. Verse 17, he says, deal bountifully with your servant. Bless me, Lord, he says, that I may live and keep your word. Verse 18, I love this one, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So this should be our prayer whenever we come to the word of God realizing it is a supernatural book. And so just human reasoning alone is not sufficient to get the greatest understanding of a spiritual book. The Bible says in Corinthians that these things are spiritually discerned. And again, it's because this isn't just like a a textbook of of history or mathematics or biology or a newspaper. Words are words, but this is God-breathed. The very spirit of God, the breath, the life of God is within this book. And that's why the Bible tells us in the New Testament that in Hebrews 4, it says that God's word is living and powerful. It's alive, it's living, it's a living book because it has the very life of god Breathed into it. It has supernatural value. Again, the very heartbeat and life of God is encoded. Spiritual DNA is in the Word of God. Peter calls the Scripture incorruptible seed. Like how seed has everything encoded within it to bring forth life. God's Word is incorruptible seed. It's supernatural. And so, because of that, we have to realize that yes, we can use reasoning and we can study and diligently understand things to a degree, but there's also that part where there's the dependency upon the spirit to reveal things to us that he's written in the word of God. So the psalmist says, hey, open my eyes, Lord. Lord, would you open my eyes that I might see, look what he says, wondrous things from your law. Lord, I wanna, there's wonderful things in here. And Lord, I don't wanna miss them. So Lord, would you just open my eyes? Let me see where this connects to this. And oh my goodness, that verse resonates with this verse that I read over here. And Lord, oh my goodness, what that's... And all of a sudden, these wonderful revelations start to come from the word of God as we couple together praying and asking God to open up our eyes and to open up our understanding. You know, the Bible tells us in Luke's gospel that Jesus opened up their minds to comprehend the scriptures. And so when we come to the word of God, we want to incorporate prayer. Lord, open my eyes. I I don't want to miss something. I want to see everything you have here for me in this passage. Lord, help me to see wondrous things from your law and just that important dependency that God would give us revelation. And look, folks, here's the most incredible thing that often we forget a lot of times. You know, the word of God the very author of the scripture lives inside of us, right? The Holy Spirit inspired and gave to us this book and the Holy Spirit indwells and lives inside of you as a believer, the Bible teaches. So there is no better benefit you have than to ask God by his spirit to reveal wondrous things in his law. If I was reading another book and I didn't understand maybe what the author was saying there on Page uh you know eight thirty one, that's what I'm on here, page eight thirty one and paragraph three and the second sentence. Well I wonder what he meant when he said that there. I could find somebody that read the same book and I could say, hey, you read the same book, right? You read, can you go to page eight thirty one and paragraph three and sentence two. What what do you think the author meant there? And they said, Well, hmm, let me see. I think what he means there, that might help. If you knew somebody that knew the author of the book, that might even be more helpful. Hey, you know, Bob Smith, he, he wrote this book. He's the author. What do you think, Bob? You know, Bob personally. What do you think Bob meant on page 831, paragraph three, sentence two? Well, well, I know Bob. So what Bob probably meant there was, that'd be a little bit more helpful, but imagine if you could actually talk to Bob Smith himself, the author, and you could say, Bob, you wrote it. <laughs> what did you mean on page? And he, Well, since I wrote it, let me tell you. Well, listen, that's what you and i have we have the holy spirit the author living inside of us god gives us his spirit and we have the very author of the word of god indwelling us and that's why we can pray what psalm 119 verse 18 says lord open my eyes lord show me you're the author show me wondrous things from your law he says verse 19 for i am a stranger In the earth, and boy, that's feeling a lot more real in life now, isn't it? Feeling like you're a stranger on this earth because you live according to a different spiritual ethic. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. He speaks of hungering, longing for the word of God that we would have that. My soul breaks. I long to hear your judgments, Lord. You rebuke the proud, he says, the cursed who stray from your commandments. Notice he attaches a description of the proud and the cursed life to someone who has strayed from God's commandments. That's the result. When we stray from God's commandments, we become proud and we bring curses upon our own lives. Remove from me reproach, he says, verse 22, and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me but your servant meditates on your statutes. So Lord, people who have great power and influence, they're saying things against me. Perhaps they were persecuting and mocking him, he says, but I don't pay attention to that. He says, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna meditate upon what's true. I'm just gonna focus and meditate as your servant on your statutes because Lord, they may be a prince, but you're my king and I'm your servant. So whatever your word says, that's what I'm gonna stick with. I love verse 24. He says, your testimonies are also not only my delight, my enjoyment, but he says they're also my counselors. I have that underlined, my counselors. Boy, how wonderful to have constant counsel available to our lives. We don't have to necessarily pay for this counselor and pay for that counselor for free. We have counselors, lots of counselors, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Psalms, Ephesians, right? All these wonderful counselors, the word of God, the counselor, the Holy Spirit giving to us the word of God. And he says, Lord, your statutes, your testimonies, your word, he says, they become my counselors, the truths of God's word. How wonderful to have God's word as a counselor, for our life so many times the word of god has been a great counselor to help me in my decisions or how to handle something and he's a great counselor through his word to us verse 25 he then says and my soul clings to the dust revive me according to your word now the picture there my soul clinging to the dust the picture there is clinging to the dust is is someone who's dying Their vitality is diminishing. They're clinging to the dust. They're in the dust. From dust we were taken to dust we shall return. The picture there is someone who's dying. Interesting, he refers to his soul. That is the innermost part of his being, his emotions, his mind, his thoughts. And a lot of times, boy, doesn't it not seem that our, our souls, rather than being inclined towards upward gravitation, that our souls tend to be inclined towards going downward, getting bummed, Getting angry, getting depressed, feeling like we're just dying on the vine, and getting, you know, and and so he says, Lord, I feel like I'm dying here. I just feel like that my soul is dying. And so what does he say? Verse 25, here's his prayer Revive me how? According to your word. Another valuable benefit of the word of God it can bring revival to our soul, it can bring renewal. Revival speaks of helping to regain life. It speaks of restoring life or vitality. So when you feel like you're dying emotionally, you're struggling mentally, when you feel like your soul is drying up and shriveling up, one of the greatest places to experience inward revival of your soul is the word of God. God's word has a way to restore our soul. Psalm 19 tells us that your word restores my soul. And one of the greatest ways that revival comes personally to an individual, if not collectively to a church or to the body of Christ is through the word of God. You look at any personal revival in a person's life. Spiritually, you look at any revival in a church, you look at revivals that have happened historically. There always is a direct connection to the word of God, to the power of God's word, bringing life and bringing revival, bringing back to life that which was dying within one of God's people. God's word, the value of it, it brings great revival spiritually. He says, verse 26, and I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand, he says, the way of your precepts. Again, Lord, help me. I want to understand your ways. Help me supernaturally, Lord. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So I shall meditate, notice, on your wonderful works. Verse 28, he comes back to kind of the same idea again. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. So here he speaks of his soul melting from heaviness. Apparently there were some heavy things going on in his life. Maybe he was under some heavy pressures, or maybe there were just a, was a real heavy, difficult burden going on in some struggle in his soul. And he says, my soul, I'm melting here, Lord. My soul is melting from heaviness, Lord. I'm, I'm losing it here. But he says, what? Strengthen me. How does God strengthen us? Strengthen me according to your word. Another value of God's word. God's word strengthens our soul. When we're weary, when we're under a heavy burden, God's word can strengthen us and give us the strength. To carry on again, when we go through hard times, when we go through maybe a, a you know a, a tragedy or a difficult time, or maybe a, just a deep time we 're grieving emotionally and we 're just under a heavy, heavy thing. the mistake sometimes we make unfortunately is is we pull back from the word of God, and that doesn't strengthen us at all. that just makes us weaker and weaker, and it makes the burden heavier and heavier god's word has a value whereby it strengthens our soul. It restores strength back to us so that we can carry on because the heavy burden may not go away, right? We may still be under the heaviness, but at least the heaviness isn't as much of a crushing weight if I'm being strengthened by God's word that Lord, okay, according to your promise, Lord, you can help me through this. Lord, your word tells me in Isaiah, do not fear, I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll uphold you by my righteous right hand. All right, Lord, this is hard. The burden's not going away. It's heavy, but Lord, you can strengthen me to walk through this. And God's word gives us that strength emotionally and mentally and spiritually to carry on even when we're under a heavy situation. He says, verse nine, remove from me the way of lying. Boy, that's a good prayer for all of us, isn't it? Remove from me, Lord. I, I don't wanna lie, Lord. I don't wanna be dishonest. I don't want to flagrantly lie, Lord. I don't want to just be exaggerating things. I don't want to be embellishing stories. Lord, I don't want to do that. Help me, remove from me this way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart notice lord i'm asking you please lord help me remove from me by your power and work in my life spiritually the way of lying but then do you notice what he also says there in verse 30 i have chosen the way of what truth so lord please remove this struggle from me but sometimes here's our mistake Oh Lord, just remove this from me. Help me to stop doing this sin. Help, Lord, take this from me, take this from me. But then we don't want to make conscious choices ourselves to participate in cooperation to stop doing the wrong thing. I don't understand. I keep praying that God will, you know, help me to stop doing this sin or practicing that. Okay. Well, it's great that you're praying about it. But are you making conscious choices and taking steps and being practical in cooperation with your prayer to God, saying, Lord, Help me, give me the power because God will remove sin from our lives, but we also have to choose to stop sinning. (laughs) We have to choose to do what's right, to walk in the way of truth and not continue in a pattern of error. And I love how the psalmist gives this beautiful balance. Lord, I'm asking you remove lying from me, but Lord, I'm gonna choose the way of truth. I'm gonna do my part in making good choices and turning away from lying and walking in the way of truth instead verse 33 says teach me O lord the way of your statutes and i shall keep it to the end lord be my instructor help me to understand it so that i may keep it and live it out give me understanding and i shall keep your law indeed i shall observe it with my whole heart make me to walk in the path of your commandments for i delight in it incline he says my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Now, I want you to notice here, verse 33 through verse 36. Teach me, give me understanding, make me walk in the path of your commandments, incline my heart to your testimonies. Again, do you notice that the psalmist is making very clear his understanding? It's not just an academic routine. He understands there's a spiritual component to this he's saying lord this isn't just academia it's not just bible study for intellectual information to get more facts he's saying lord no this is a spiritual experience he's saying lord please would you teach me divinely lord uh, increase my understanding of your ways so that i can keep it to the end give me understanding please lord i'm praying i don't want to just read the word of god lord i want to live out the word of god So, Lord, what I'm reading here, according to what I'm reading, I want to keep your law. Give me understanding how I can do that, Lord. Show me how I can keep your law. Help me, make me walk in the path of your commandments. Lord, incline my heart, change my heart. Give me a disposition that's inclined towards wanting to obey in faith and obedience your testimonies rather than covetousness and wrong attitudes in my heart. He says, verse 37, turn away my eyes, from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted. Lord, I'm devoted to fearing you. So turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, he says again, I long for your precepts. Revive me. Notice third time we're now saying this word, revive me in your righteousness. Again, notice the third time already in just 40 verses, attaching God's word to spiritual revival, beginning with just the actual person themselves, not a church revival, not the whole body of Christ, but personal spiritual revival attached to God's word. I love verse 37, and perhaps maybe we just tie up our time this evening by just thinking about this before we close. He says, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Man, that's good. Lord, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Think how many worthless things our eyes end up looking at and viewing, right? Whether it's worthless times we spend watching worthless things on television, using huge amounts of our time in just worthlessly viewing things on television or, you know, some movie. I'm not being legalistic. There's anything wrong with that, but sometimes we, things that are so worthless, right, we give so much attention to. How many people? Oh, yeah. Oh, I got another like. Oh, I got, you know, and just, oh, what, look where they're at. They're, wow, they're a Cheeto burrito. They're, look at that burrito they're I mean, Who cares? They're eating lunch, right? But I mean, the things that we spend, that we give so much attention to looking at worthless things. And he says here, Lord, turn my eyes away from worthless things and revive me in your way. Boy, I wonder what would happen in my life if the Lord helped turn my eyes away from spending so much time looking at worthless things, And even just a fraction of that time that I gather back from not looking at worthless things, I spent looking into the word of God, something that's eternal, something that can transform me as a human being and make me live in a way that pleases God and experience God in whole, much more wonderful ways. Let's stand together. We'll pray.